Thank you, Freya. It's a good thing. Uh, I like the line. Actually, I like that line, too. That jumped out to me, uh, what Freya prayed about. But uh, the other line I liked was, um, is it good that we remind ourselves of this? And I think that's such a, that's such a good line as we gather. It's like there's so many things we need to remind each other about. Because we get off, we go off in our weeks, and we've got all this stuff happening. And then, you know, that's the point of gathering, is that we come together and we remind each other, hey, remember, Jesus is on the throne. Hey, remember, the Father loves us. Hey, remember, God's doing a work. And, and it's like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, this is true. And then we go off and it's like, oh, man, okay, the world, okay. And then we get back together and we remind each other, yeah, come on, keep going, keep going. And we walk together. And um, so it is, it's a beautiful thing. It's a neat song. I like the, it's kind of different, right, with the, the echo parts, but uh, it's a neat thing. Well, we are in a series called Things We Don't Believe. It's a very negative series. <laughs> Just kidding. Just joking, but say we do. Um, today... Our title is, I am a missionary. I am a missionary. This is a thing we say we believe, but I don't know if we do all the time. When I was 12, uh, I went across Western Canada with a team, a missions team called King's Kids. They were, uh, it's kind of like an arm of youth with a mission, if you've heard of them. And so it's like the youth arm. It's called King's Kids. I don't even know if they're still around or not. But uh, anyway, so when I was 12, I could go on this trip. And we went across Western Canada. And we did, like, dancing and singing. I know it's hard to believe I would do that. but um, And drama. And we, uh, we went in churches. And we went on street corners. And we shared testimonies. And it was a really incredible experience for me as a 12-year-old. I loved it. And so two years later, when I was 14... That summer, I said, you know, I want to go somewhere. And so I joined King's Kids again, and I went to Spain during the Olympics in Barcelona. When the Olympics were there, we went and we did um, more kind of singing, dancing, outreach on the streets, corners during the Olympics. And then from the Olympics, all these different teams that had gathered there all went to different places. So the team I was on went from the Olympics in Spain, and then we went off to Turkey. And we went and visited the seven churches that are mentioned in Revelation, we went and visited those seven churches, the locations. So some of them are ruins, these old historic places. And we did prayer and worship mostly because Turkey is a closed country. So you can't just go on the street corner, although we did a couple times. And when we did, everyone sat down and we had a meeting and we got our passports and we all got ready to go to jail because that's what you do when you're going to do street evangelism in Turkey. You also get ready to be expelled from the country. Those are a couple things that could happen when you're in Turkey. And so I loved it. I wrote my mother postcards. I'm in jail, mom. I don't know what they made of that, but uh, my mother didn't like it. I loved it, though. And then so when I was 16 that summer, I was like, okay, uh, uh, this is so exciting. It's so awesome. So then I went to, to the Ukraine. With, again, with King's Kids, and we went and worked with a kids' camp there, and we shared good news. We worked um, doing similar stuff, street evangelism, dance, drama, testimony, and again, I loved it. 
And so when I was 21, I left university partway through with the TESOL certificate, a teaching English as a second language certificate. And I went to join YWAM, Youth with a Mission. And I did my discipleship training school outreach. So my discipleship training school was in Colorado. And then I went to Azerbaijan to do my outreach. And we taught English there and we made, you know, formed relationships and met neighbors and hung out with students and shared the good news that way. And I loved it. You getting the theme yet? And when I was 26, Lauren and I, we returned to Azerbaijan once we were married and we went to help with the English school there and we, uh, they needed some teachers. So we went and we taught English and we built relationships and with students and neighbors and shared good news that way. And I loved it. And we were on a timeline because she was pregnant. And she said, I'm not having a baby in Azerbaijan. I said, this is what you signed up for, Lauren. And so we went back. We came back. And then when I was 27, Lauren and I and Maddie now went to Montana to do school of worship. And our outreach for that school was in Scotland and England. And so we went there and we served churches and we did, you know, worship and music. And, and we also did some outreach in schools because in Scotland and England, you can do that. It's crazy. So we could go in as a, you know, church body arm or whatever and go in, you know, share good news and do all that stuff in the schools there. See, my whole life, I wanted to be a missionary. I think it started really when I went to Turkey and I found out you could go to jail. (laughs) Or you could be killed. Like, you could experience persecution. This was, like, really exciting to me as a young person. I was like, yes, something meaningful, awesome. Okay, that's, that's for me. And so then I decided, you know, the two places that I'd set my sights on were North Korea and Iran, because I figured those are pretty, you know, high up on the, the chain of like, you could get persecuted, thrown in jail or killed. And so I was really excited about this. And, I, you know, so this was my goal. I was going to end up going to one of these places as a missionary. And of course, if you know my story, you know that instead, disappointingly, I ended up here <laughs> as a youth pastor and then as an associate pastor, and then somehow as a church planter. We all don't know how that happened. No missionary work for me. Just like cushy Canada. It's like, great. Well, that's, that kind of sucks. You know, the easy life. And maybe some of you, you hope God won't call you. That's <laughs> maybe the opposite of me. You hope God won't call you to like Africa or Azerbaijan or somewhere. And, you know, then you'd be a missionary. You're like, oh, I really don't want to even say I don't want to do that because maybe God would make me do that and that would be horrible. And for both you and I, maybe we both misunderstand this word. We both struggle in a way over it. Maybe we misunderstand our jobs as Christians. And many other things, of course. Our passage this morning is 2 Corinthians 5, 19. It says, In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. See, if we believed that we were all missionaries, our lives would look differently than they do. (laughs) If we all believed we were missionaries, our lives would look differently than we do. See, we have missionary misconceptions. We have things that make it hard for us to believe that we could all be missionaries 
And the first one is the word missionary. The word missionary is already a stumbling block. If you grew up in the church, then as soon as I say the word missionary, you have a bunch of things coming to your mind. So maybe some of them are, I don't, can't speak for all of you, but maybe some of them are like African jungles or Jim Elliott, if you're of a certain era, underground church in China or living in huts. Or maybe for some of you, you think of people who are dressed like 20 years behind the times coming and sharing inspiring stories, but they look really dowdy or something and they're up there, but their stories are really inspiring. So there's something both attractive to that and also like, ooh, don't want to look like that. Maybe you connect the word missionary with feelings of guilt. Maybe you think of sacrifice or like a really high calling. Or maybe like an evangelist. That's like, ooh, yeah, those people. If you're not a church person, you didn't grow up in the church, maybe you have different associations with the word missionary. Maybe you think of like 19-year-old Mormons coming to your door who call themselves missionaries. And that's like, you're like, oh, that's what a missionary is. Okay, weird. It's weird. Or maybe you think of cultural abuse and colonialism. Maybe you think of like naked savages being forced to wear clothes and they don't want to and they have clothes. Now they have clothes on. Look, we saved them. At the root of it, though, these aren't happy associations. Many of them are not happy associations for us. You know, the word mission comes out of the 1590s and it was. It meant like ascending abroad, and it was originally used with the Jesuits. So that was an arm of the Catholic Church, and they were the ones who said, we want to go out, we're on a mission, we're soldiers for God, and soldiers are on a mission, so we're going to go out. And so this was the picture, Jesuits were, were on a mission. It's from the Latin word, I don't even want to, missionem, I'm not a Latin speaker, or the nominative missio. It means the act of sending or a dispatching or a release or a setting at liberty, a discharge from service or a dismissal. It's like a going out. It's a noun of action. There was a, you know, to release or to let go or to send or even to throw. That's how we like to throw our missionaries. You know, it's going though. It's, it's not staying, it's going. We don't need to look even further than the Great Commission to know why this word is used with the mission of Je- that Jesus gives his disciples when he's resurrected at the very end of Matthew, Matthew 28. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so one of our struggles with missionary with this idea of missionary is that missionaries go they go that's what a missionary is that's what a missionary does jesus doesn't say stay therefore and make disciples so we're left with go we have to go somewhere it's not here it's somewhere else that's why whenever the missionaries get up and they say go you need to go and we're like oh go okay uh where am i supposed to go or if i don't go i feel guilty But you're left with this choice. I'm either going or I'm staying. Ooh, staying. That's not good. Even this week, I I was talking with a friend, and he was telling me about how his dad, his whole life, his dad, you know, was was a teacher and then a principal and had these different jobs. He was a mayor, like all these different amazing jobs. But the whole time he was like, when I retire, then I'm going to go and be a missionary. And so he was always looking forward to this time when he would go and be a missionary. And then his dad died very young. 
even when he was this, this guy was quite young. And his father died. And so there's this sense of like, oh, he never got to be a missionary. And then even after he died and people started talking about all the ways his life had impacted people, it was like, oh, oh, he did a lot. <laughs> it's too bad he couldn't see his life in that way. Another struggle we have is that we think of missionary like a job, like pastor. Pastor's a job, missionary's a job. And you could be, I mean, you could be a bivocational pastor, right? You could, a bivocational pastor should be, I think, a carpenter and a pastor. Because carpenter is very holy as well, isn't it? Jesus was a carpenter. So that's why I'm not bivocational. Because I couldn't be a carpenter, no. But you could be a carpenter, pastor, you could be bivocational. You could be a bivocational missionary too, couldn't you? You could go and be a teacher and a missionary. But we all know that if you're a bivocational missionary, you're a teacher and a missionary in a different country where they don't speak your language. Like, you ha- it has to be far away, right? That you would be bivocational in this way and have these two things that you're doing, this job and missions, that's how we think. Obviously, the more dangerous the place you go, the more jewels you get in your crown. And if we could achieve martyr status, I mean, that's what I was looking for, then that would be like the highest heavenly award. Wouldn't it be martyr status or like a book deal? I think those two things are pretty close in the Christian world, right? You could be a martyr or you could have a book deal. And then you're a pretty big thing. If you stayed in Canada and you worked as a hairdresser or a bridge builder or a realtor or a teacher or a receptionist or a farmer or store clerk, you definitely would not qualify for all these great heavenly rewards, would you? Sorry, Matt. And everyone else I just mentioned. You know, my great fear growing up, if you'd asked me, what's your greatest fear? It wouldn't have been spiders or snakes, or like public speaking, obviously. (laughs) My greatest fear was that I wouldn't go. If you'd asked me, what's your greatest fear? It would be that I stay here, that I live in Canada, that I don't go, and, and I'm afraid and I won't do it, and I just stay. That was my greatest fear. And so in Colorado, when I was in Youth with a Mission, and I'm up on the mountain, and, and our speaker had just told us, You need to ask God for a country of your own and then you pray for that country and you go to that and that becomes your country that God gives you. I went up on the mountain for my devotional time and I sat up there all alone up on this mountain in Colorado Springs and I sat on the mountain and I was like, okay, I have this time. I'm going to do this. God, I'm going to ask you for a country. And so I'm just going to, I don't totally know how to do this, so I'm just going to say country names and when I get to the country that you have for me, just stop me. Arrest my attention. Just, you know, have a bird, you know, land next to me or something so that I know that's the country you have for me. So then I was like, okay, here we go. Got you ready? Okay. You're always ready. Okay. North Korea. North Korea. Nothing happens. Okay. I'm going to keep going. And my real pick was number two. See, I kind of tricked God a little bit. You always put your favorite one second. Okay. So then I was like, Iran. Iran. Anything? Hello? 
hello, anything? And I was like, I gotta think of some other countries now. Like, it's not Iran? Oh man, okay. So now I was about to go on the next one. And then so clearly did I hear, feel, experience the voice of God in my heart, not out loud, so clearly and loud. I want you to go back to Trinity Western and finish your degree. And I was like, be still the voice of Satan. Lord and I are having time here. We're choosing a country that's not a country. So, and again, I want you to go back. I was like, that is not, that can't be the Lord. We're picking countries. I want a country. And instead I'm being sent back. And I actually cried. <laughs> so you're like, oh, you're sad. Sad little man. No, I cried. I, I wept. I was devastated. And then I went back and then I met Lauren. I was like, oh, it was for Lauren. Super. Now we're going to go. And then we went to the, the school of worship. And I was in the school of worship. And then they said, oh, do you guys want to stay on and take over our school of worship? We see that in you. And they, you know, if you've ever been to Wyoming, they say that to everybody. But, you know, so it was like, yes. And so we prayed and we're like, yes, okay, Lord, should we do this? And again, the God, God said to us so clearly, go back and serve the church that sent you. I said, they don't have a job for me. God said, well, then get a job. What? That's not right. And again, I'm sent back. Is this my job or not? We wrestle, struggle with these things. I think another struggle we have is that we think missionaries are special people. You know, in all the stories, missionaries, have you read a missionary story? They're these amazing people. Like, we publish their journals because they're amazing people. As a kid, I was writing my journal hoping it would be published someday when I was an amazing missionary. I look back at those journals. No one should ever publish those. (laughs) They are so sad. (laughs) Uh, Someone writing because they think they're going to be published. It's not good. We, but we, we hear these stories and we think of these people. They're these amazing people. They, they're willing to sacrifice everything, to die, to watch everyone they love die, to, to go to prison, to be eaten by cannibals, and then go to prison. Like these people, William Booth, Hudson Taylor, Jim and Elizabeth Elliott, David Livingston, Amy Carmichael, Eric Little, David Brainer, Jackie Pullinger, Lauren Cunningham. You guys, these are not people like you and me. These are not people who like Netflix and warm beds. These are not people who drink beer and go to Starbucks. These are not people with regular jobs and families. They're not people with kids in soccer and extreme theater and dance class. We could never be missionaries. Because we're not like them. You know what one of them wrote? William Booth, the guy who started the Salvation Army. No big deal. He said this. Not called, did you say? Not heard the call, I think you should say. Put your ear down to the Bible and hear him bid you go and pull sinners out of the fire of sin. Put your ear down to the burdened, agonized heart of humanity and listen to its pitiful wail for help. And then look Christ in the face whose mercy you have professed to obey and tell him, whether you will join heart and soul and body and circumstance in the march to publish his mercy to the world. 
We are all missionaries. We have a missionary mission. In June 2014, Lauren and I, so I was the associate pastor at MRCC, and we were praying, we were sensing God was stirring something, so we started praying together. God, what, you're stirring something in Lauren, something in me, what's happening? Is it a new vision here? Is it something else? And suddenly I started thinking, oh, it's time. I, I'm going to go be a missionary. Maybe it's time. We're going to go be missionaries. That's what we're going to do. And then church planting reared its ugly head. I thought, no, 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 no. No, this is not a thing we're doing. Like church planting is the worst combination of everything. It's like, I'm going to stay here and be a part of church, only we're going to do it really hard and start from scratch. Like that doesn't sound good. It sounds really hard. Like I don't want to do that. This isn't the thing. And as we prayed, we sensed it is church planning. So then we were praying like, oh man, where? Like, man, like maybe church planning in Thailand or somewhere, right? Like it could be. And God, we felt like God said to us, where do you want to do it? You can do it anywhere and I will bless you. And do you know what we picked? Maple Ridge. Pit Meadows. Right here. Do you know what? As we prayed, we realized God gave us a heart for the people in our lives. All these people that we know are our, our teachers and neighbors and friends and their families and soccer kids and their parents and my hairdresser and the roofing guy. Our heart broke for them that they would hear and experience and know the kingdom of God. And so we decided that we would stay here and live the good news among them. Everyone is a missionary. Oswald J. Smith says, the church that does not evangelize will fossilize. We are all missionaries being sent on a mission. The first mission is like Abraham gets the mission. Do you know that? Abraham gets the first mission. And this is what God says to him. God says to Abram, who became Abraham, name change, go from your, from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. There's a picture of Jesus coming to bless everyone. But the commission given to Abraham is God says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you for a reason, with a purpose. And that is so that you will be a blessing to everyone around you. That they'll see and know me because of you. And then, of course, uh, the people of Israel are settled smack in the middle of the intersection of the entire known world. Like, everything happens through there. All the empires go through there. And they don't do a great job of their mission. At points they do, and other points they don't. They miss it, that their mission is to be a blessing to the world, to make him known. And then Jesus comes in, he's sent on a mission, and he also sends his disciples on a mission. Jesus came on this mission. He says, my mission is to seek and save the lost. He says, not to condemn the world, but to save the world. And Jesus accomplishes his mission. He goes, lives his life, and then he goes to death willingly and rises up from the dead to 
conquer sin and death and save the world. And then he issues this command to his followers in Mark 16, 15. Is another version of it. He said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. This is the mission. Now, my question is like, is the mission the same if you're a lawyer or a student or a barista or a salesperson or a stay-at-home mom or a retiree? Is it the same for a public school kid as it is for a homeschool kid or a Christian school kid? Is it the same at the hockey rink and the classroom and the, at home and at work? And what is it exactly? What's the mission? Number one, the mission is rescue. Eddie Ho says, since God is a missionary God, God's people are a missionary people. He says, who's the first missionary? It's God. In Genesis 3, there's these two sinners. They're off hiding, and God has to go find them. He's a missionary God. He comes, and he asks them some good questions. And then he also has a message of hope, a message about Jesus coming to reconcile humanity. And so missionaries go where lost people are with a message of hope. That's what we do. Missionaries go to where lost people are with a message of hope. Keith Wright says, lost people matter to God, and so they should matter to us. Do you know Jesus, he tells lots of stories, lots of parables, stories with meaning. And at one point in Luke 15, he tells three stories in a row, and they're all very similar. And so when Jesus tells three stories in a row, we should pay attention, because he must be saying something important, because he just told three stories in a row. Three stories in a row, they're all about lost things. Like, and they're outlandish stories. Like the one story is about a shepherd who's got a hundred sheep and he counts them all and realizes one is missing. And instead of cutting his losses, you know, he's got 99 out of a hundred. That's pretty good. Instead of cutting his losses, okay, we lost one. That's not too bad. You know, he goes off, leaves the 99 and he goes off to find the one sheep he's lost. And when he finds that sheep, he celebrates and brings it back with celebration. Or the next story is about this woman and she loses a coin. She's got a bunch of coins. She loses one. I mean, she scours the house, moving everything, looking over everything twice, finds the coin. And then she calls all her neighbors over. You know, let's have a party. I found my coin. You're like, you're wasting your coin on a party. Don't, that's not a good idea. Just be happy you found it. And the third story is about a father whose son goes off and he spends the inheritance. You know, maybe you've heard this story. He goes off to spend the inheritance and he's like just a stench to the family name. Like everything horrible. Like if someone, how's Billy doing? Billy's good, good. Billy's fine. Yeah, we don't talk about Billy much since he's been with the prostitutes and doing the drugs and the partying and all that. You know, wasting all the family money. It's, it's pretty awesome. Doing well with his life. Don't talk about Billy. And then Billy comes home one day, spent it all. He's like a wreck, a ruin. And father runs down the road to meet him and grabs him up and hugs him and kisses him and then throws a big party. He's back. Hey, let's invite everyone home. Billy's home. Billy. Billy? Yeah, Billy. Whatever his name was. And all the stories, there's this finding celebration party. And so to me, it's like, we, we have to acknowledge that missionaries celebrate rescue and redemption 
I think like wild banshees. That's a biblical term. Missionaries celebrate rescue and redemption. Like, however you want to say it, but to me it's like wild banshees. Like, it should be a thing we're just so pumped about. Secondly, the mission is love. Henry Martin says the spirit of Christ is the spirit of missions, and the nearer we get to him, the more intensely missionary we become. Like, this isn't a thing we're trying to do. It's like we try to get to know Jesus, and the more we get to know Jesus, the more this takes over our lives. This, like, what, who is Jesus? Jesus is love. So the more we get to know Jesus, the more we become like him, the more our lives become lives of love. This is his summary command to us. He says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is, this is everything. Hangs on this. This is his motivation for God so loved the world that he gave his son. This is his determinate action. How do we know God loves us? We know because he sent Jesus to die for us. And so it must also be our motivation and determinate action. We are motivated by love. Our action is, their actions of love. To proclaim the love of God, a love that gave itself for our rescue, a love that welcomes, a love that heals, a love that restores, a love that transforms. Bob Goff says, Jesus talked to his friends a lot about how we should identify ourselves. He said it wouldn't be what we said we believed. That sounds like our sermon series. Or all the good we hope to do someday. Nope, he said we would identify ourselves simply by how we loved people. It's tempting to think there's more to it, but there's not. Love isn't something we fall into. Love is someone we become. Love is someone we become. Missionaries proclaim good news by being the lovingest people around. And we're called to missional living. Missional living. In the church planting process, um, I realized that, you know, this was a big revelation for me. I could have been called anywhere. We could have been called overseas and been missionaries the way I thought it was in my mind. And instead, we're being called here. This was the place. God gave us a heart for this place. And so I realized, what if this, this is my mission field? What if it's like here? What would that be like? What, what would change in my mind? What if these were the people God called me to love? What if this is the country God's given me? North Korea. To, well, like, it would have taken me forever to get to Canada. That would have been the last country on my list. If I named all, however many countries there are, 300, whatever. What if we were being called the missionaries to Pitt Meadows and Maple Ridge? What would that, how would my life look differently if that were true? So here's what I want you to do with me. I want you to make this shift of like, we are all missionaries. I'm a missionary. You can say that. I'm a missionary. And I want you to imagine that we're all going to be missionaries to Baku, Azerbaijan. I got a picture of Baku. If we were all going to go to Baku, Azerbaijan, where I've been, so that's, you know, it looks a little nicer than it did when I was there, or this picture's been sanitized, but it's a nice place. So if we were all going to go to Baku, Azerbaijan as missionaries, what would we, what would we do? What would we do? Well, you can't just go and check in at customs and say, I'm going to be a missionary. They won't let you in. You need to get a job. So we would all have to go there and get a job, something that would provide and give us a reason to be there. And that's good. That's important. We would build relationships with people around us. We would connect into the community. 
We would serve, maybe find some places where we could serve and connect. We would make friends. We'd get to know our neighbors. In Baku, your neighbors at different points, they'll bring over a bottle of vodka and a little cup and we'll celebrate some things. And you're like, as, as DTS YWAMers, we were like, are we allowed to drink this? I don't know. Are you okay with this? I'm like, we're, we're with the neighbors. Celebrate with a little vodka for something. Let's have drink a little bit. Like, this is what we would do. We'd get to know our neighbors. We'd talk about Jesus where we could in relationship. We'd invest in the town. We'd endure persecution. If they found out, oh, there's Christians, maybe we won't let you buy that property. Maybe we won't let you do that or meet in this hall. We would endure the persecution. It would be a joy to us because we'd gone there to serve in the mission field. We'd share our lives. We would be intentional. So now, I'm not telling you to go to Baku. I mean, some of you might, maybe should. We're here. Like, you're all here with me. We're not there, we're here. So like, how good is this? I get to be called to Maple Ridge? We have running water. We have electricity that's like not turned on and off throughout the day, unless there's a windstorm. It's turned off for a little bit. We have English. I don't have to learn a new language to speak to people. We have law and order. I don't have to bribe my school teachers to get grades. Like, this is good. We're in a good, this is a good place. We have a culture that we're familiar with. We don't have to learn a new culture, go through culture shock, mostly. <laughs> we have freedom to meet and gather like this. We have to meet in safety. Count Nicholas Ludwig von Zinzendorf, one of the Moravian, start in the beginning of the missions movement, this is what he said. He said, I have but one passion. It's he. It's he alone. The world is the field and the field is the world. And henceforth, that country shall be my home where I can be most used in winning souls for Christ. My home is where I can be most used for winning souls for Christ. Wherever that is, that's where I'm going to be. You know, sometimes when you get really challenged by someone else in your life, some, some decision they make or the way they do things, my children often humble me because I say and I talk about stuff and I teach them things and then they actually do it. Sometimes. And it's humbling. The other day I was talking to Maddie and she was saying, I asked her if I could share this. She's, she was saying, Dad, I don't know about this sleepover, all the... All my girls, you know, all the girls are going to the sleepover. It's a really big sleepover, so I'm worried, you know, they're going to watch a movie. How's that going to go? And I'm going to have to negotiate all these things and what they're doing. And like, you know, and I was like, okay, well, you know, stay home. Like, what's the big deal? And well, I want to go, you know. And she's like, well, I'm like, well, then go. Like, well, I, I, you know, I want to sleep. And I, she's got all these things. She's trying to work it out. And I was like, whatever, just like, just go or don't go. I don't know. And she's like, well, you know, I, I really, really want to go because at 2 or 3 a.m. on a sleepover, that's like the special time. At 2 or 3 a.m., that's when people are most open to talking about Jesus. And so, Dad, I don't want to miss this opportunity. <laughs> like, go, don't go, whatever. Who cares? It's just a sleepover. No, Dad, it's an opportunity. Because at 2 or 3 a.m., people are open. She comes home from her English class. She'll say, yeah, Dad, we have these English class study discussion groups, small groups. I'm always looking for how can I turn the conversation to important things so that maybe there'll be a chance to share about Jesus. <laughs> you guys, 
The country shall be my home where I can be most used in winning souls for Christ. Are we living intentionally where we can be used to win the most souls to Christ? Another question that goes with that is like a hard question. How many souls have I seen won to Christ? Have I been part of? Man, in the last six months, in the last year, in five years, in 10 years, like the zeros are scary. We have to say, maybe I should change something about my life that would engage me more in what I'm doing. So how? The question is how? How do we engage ourselves? Number one, missional living is about relationship. Relationship. Jesus said in John 20, 21, as the father sent me, I'm sending you. Jesus was sent in relationship. He came and he hung out with a group of people, a growing group of people, and he lived with them and he taught them and he walked with them and he showed them what the reconciling love of God looks like. And then he gave his life to see it through. He was relational. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And entrusting to us, this is our passage, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. And then he says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This is the message we bring in relationship. We're ambassadors of this message. Secondly, missional living is about intentional moments. Hugh Halter and Matt Smay write about a conversation with a non-Christian guy. And he says, they say to him, if Christianity was only about finding a group of people to live life with who shared openly their search for God and allowed anyone regardless of behavior to seek to and who collectively lived by faith to make the world a little more like heaven, would you be interested? And the guy says, hell yes. <laughs> this is his response. And then he says, are there churches like that? <laughs> That's how he responds to this. It's like, it's about being intentional. We're, we're not living our lives for survival. Doesn't it feel like that sometimes? Oh, I'm just got to get through next week. Oh, I got to get to the next week. Yeah, I just got to get to vacation. I just got to get to this. Just got to get to that. And we just like survive. But our lives were meant to be intentionally relational with people. On mission, our search, our journey with God openly shared. Everyone welcome to come and journey with us. Everyone. Living by faith to make earth a little more like heaven. Lord, that your kingdom come. Intentional living is that we would pray for people we know. So make the list. Start praying for those people. And then look for opportunities. And when the opportunity comes, try. To have a gospel conversation, try to, maybe it's offer to pray for someone, or maybe it's just to share what God's doing in your life. Ask him for opportunity, and then take hold of the opportunity. And for that, we'll need boldness. Missional living is about boldness. In the movie, We Bought a Zoo, the dad says to the son who's nervous about asking this girl out, the dad says to him this very true thing. And I watched the movie. I was like, oh, that's a true statement. That's true. This is what he says. You know, sometimes all you need is 20 seconds of insane courage. Just literally 20 seconds of embarrassing bravery. And I promise you something great will come of it. 
And that's what we're going to need. Because when you're in a conversation with someone, it's like, oh, wow, am am I going to do this? Am I going to do this? And you just got to think, 20 seconds. John said just 20 seconds of insane bravery. And maybe it's like, okay, okay, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to just say something. And I promise you, if you do, great things are going to happen. Amazing things. It's going to take boldness to share because it's a strange message that we carry. God who comes as a baby, a three-in-one God, a 2,000-year-old carpenter king who lives in backwater Galilee, dies on a Roman cross to pay for our sins, and then he rises from the dead and he lives in our heart by his spirit. Kind of a weird one to share over the water cooler, right? 1 Corinthians one twenty one says this, Since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach. <sighs> To save those who believe. It's going to feel like folly sometimes. We're going to need courage to just say something sometimes. And that could be a whole message too. You guys, when we believe we are all missionaries, we will live differently. We all have these thoughts that come to mind when we say the word missionary. And for many, they're not good thoughts or they're thoughts, you know, that's not to do with me. And so I, I want to encourage us to take back the word. That missionaries are people who live on mission. Every Christian has been given a mission. The mission of Jesus to live rescue and redemption and a life of love. And we're missionaries called to this place, to Maple Ridge and Pitt Meadows. We're called to live relational lives, intentional in our moments, and boldly declaring the good news. Good news.